0: Good morning. morning. Glad you're here to worship with us at Rivermont today. And let me invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. As we continue our study of the life of David this summer, we turn today to the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And while you're turning there, let me ask you, what scares you? What in your life causes you great fear? There are lots of things I think that could fit in that blank for many of us. Whether it's world events or personal events, we can feel the world shake and we aren't quite sure how to respond. Sometimes we are paralyzed by fears. There was much to be afraid of in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines, the destructive enemies of God's people, were on the move and they were headed toward Bethlehem and toward Jerusalem. And in a valley about 14 miles away from Bethlehem, King Saul and the army of Israel marched out to meet them. The Philistine army was camped on one ridge of this valley and the army of Israel was camped on the opposing ridge. And in between is what felt like the valley of the shadow of death. For that's where Goliath was. Goliath, the mighty warrior of the Philistines, challenged the mightiest in the armies of Israel to a battle. And in verse 10 he says, if if the Philistines won, then all of Israel would be in slavery to Philistia. But not only would the people of Israel be enslaved, but the army of the Philistines could march all the way unimpeded to Jerusalem. It would be a complete slaughter, total destruction for God's people if the Philistine army was not stopped in that valley of Elah. The problem was, that Goliath was huge. He was much larger and much stronger than any champion among the people of Israel. He was between seven and a half and nine feet tall. And as Ron mentioned, he was strong enough to wear a protective battle mail of 125 pounds. He was an imposing enemy, a more potent enemy than Israel could imagine. And it seemed to King Saul like it was certain doom for God's people, but not to David. You were here a couple of weeks ago. You may remember from 1 Samuel chapter 16 how David was chosen and David was anointed the new king over God's people. And yet, David was the eighth son. Seven of Jesse's sons had been passed over seven, the number of perfection, seven, the number of biblical completion. And David was the eighth. He was the one who's no count, he was the one who was easy to overlook. He was the one whom Jesse called the Hakatan. You might remember that means he's the runt of the family and here david was the runt of all of jesse's sons as an errand boy bringing food and bringing supplies to the armies of israel as they were camped out waiting for the battle to begin for 40 days this happened you may remember from the story that this as this went on goliath taunted the armies of israel And not only did he attack the army and attack King Saul with his taunts, but he also attacked God Almighty. He says, your God is not strong enough to protect you. Your God is useless, he said. Your God will bow before my gods, Goliath thundered. And on one of these trips to bring supplies, David, the secretly anointed king from the previous chapter, the shepherd boy with a heart after God, had had enough. And he finally spoke. What did he say to this Goliath who attacked his God? Let's pick up the story in verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God And the people answered him in the same way. So it shall be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Perfect response for a younger brother to an older brother, isn't it? What have I done now? Was it not but a word? Or another translation is, can't I talk, Eliab? What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Look down at verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Let's stop there. Father, we ask that by Your power and Your might You would open our eyes to what You have for us here today. May we see You as the great warrior who fights for Your people, who protects Your people, we pray all this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Kingdom math. That's what I titled this sermon. And some of you may be wondering, what in the world could kingdom math be about? You now, students and kids, don't worry, I'm not going to take you back to school today. But we are going to have a lesson in how God does math for His kingdom versus the way that we so often look at the world. What does one plus zero equal? Well, I suppose it all depends on what you see as the zero. Saul and David would solve that math equation very differently because they saw a great difference in the power of that zero. The unseen reality that was there on the battlefield, Saul could see nothing, but David saw the Lord. In Saul's math, one plus zero equals one. What do I mean by that? Well, in verse 24, when all the army of Israel looked upon Goliath, they were terribly afraid. And Saul made a deal as they all were quaking in fear. He said, verse 25, if anyone is willing to risk his life and defeat Goliath, meaning save Israel from certain destruction, if anyone is willing to do that, then Saul would make him rich. And he would even make this champion his son in law. Saul looked upon Goliath, this brute bully. Arrogantly threatening, not only Saul, but threatening the very existence of God's people. Threatening the survival of of God's covenanted family, whom the Lord had redeemed, whom the Lord had freed from slavery to a much larger enemy than this fighter, Goliath. Who can save God's people, was Saul's question. Who would be a powerful enough defender of God's people that we might be saved? Who might do it? It's an obvious answer, isn't it? It's God. God is the one who was able to save his people. God is the one who was able to redeem his people. but as Saul looked around, he didn't see anyone who was qualified. He looked at his resources. That was the, the one. and he could find nothing to add to his resources that would equal up to victory. All the other resources at his disposal added up to a big, fat zero. There was no commander strong enough. There was no governor, there was no champion, there was no warrior, there was no God who was strong enough to defend God's people, Saul assumed. For Saul, one plus zero equals one. He was all on his own. He had no one there to help him. He was left to his own resources and it added up to panic because he knew he couldn't win. What we see in Saul is a man who gave lip service to the Lord, who knew the stories of God and His covenant, who knew the stories of God and His promises, but Saul lived as a practical atheist. A man who practically believed that there is no God strong enough or present enough to intervene on behalf of His people. There is no God who is able to save us. It's all up to me. It's all up to my resources. It's all up to what I can see with my own eyes. Saul was a man who really thought that saving all of these people and defending God's honor was a work that was upon his shoulders. Friends, that's a crippling burden to bear. And it will put us in the prison of fear and insecurity if we believe Saul's math, that 1 plus 0 equals 1. You're all on your own. But the reality is, if that's true, if we are left to tackle this great big world and all of its problems in our own wisdom and our own righteousness, our own power, then we should be afraid. Because each and every day, you and I face innumerable challenges that tap out our resources. And whether it's temptation in the bedroom or hubris in the boardroom or insecurity in the classroom, there are dangers that we face that are bigger than we are. There are enemies that are stronger. There are sins that are more entrenched in our souls, and we don't have the ability to fight them. There are many, many things in this world that are beyond our control. And if this math is right, if one plus zero equals one, then you and I are destined to live bound in fear. What is it that you fear? Is it a physical problem? Perhaps it's something more internal. Maybe it's that nagging feeling that you're never going to measure up. In the eyes of someone who really matters, you think, do I have what it takes? Am I able to pull this thing off? Am I going to succeed? Perhaps you are afraid and you, as you wonder, am I ever going to get better? Maybe you are fearful as you wonder, will my children turn out All right. Are they going to be okay as they grow up into adulthood? Will they be spared from some of these challenges and these these disasters that it seems like they're plunging headlong into? Will I succeed in my life? Will I succeed with having people to follow me? We're fearful, both within and without. Friends, if that is the way we live our life with this, One plus zero equals one. This I'm all on my own and I have to keep it all together. I have to make it all work. If we live with this practical atheism of King Saul, then it's going to be a prison of fear in your soul. Do you live there? You don't have to. For if we trust in the Lord, Emmanuel, who is God with us, then the Gospel tells us that we are never left to ourselves. That God rules in grace and God rules in power for our good and for our salvation. He rules for the good of His people, including you. You're never left alone to fend for yourself. That 1 plus 0 equals 1 is a practically atheistic way of going about life. And yet so often that's how we figure we have to live. We see the alternative in David. David. In David's math, we see that 1 plus 0 equals infinity. There's an infinite power at work because what fits in that 0 slot in David's calculation is an all-powerful, sovereign, and loving God, even though we may struggle to see Him at work sometimes. David knew that the power to overcome didn't come from the one. It didn't come from him. The power was in the zero. The power was in the Lord. The power was in the unseen and yet sovereign God who fights for his people. That's where power was for David. And that's the same place power comes for you and for me. David came down to do what no other of the mighty warriors of Israel would do. That's honor the Lord. It was different for David, however. It was the Lord's power, the Lord's resources that captured David's imagination. It was the Lord's ability to defend His people and defend His name, the Lord's determination to save His people that captured David's heart. The leaders around him thought that there was a problem of a lack of resources and they tried to play find the bad guy, find the place to put the blame. Eliab, David's oldest brother in verse 28, suggested that the problem was this little brother, this, this pain in the neck, little brother who was just hanging around. I know why you came down here, Eliab said. You came to just watch the battle. You came to watch all of your brothers get killed, didn't you? Eliab thought the problem was David being a pain. Saul added his theories in verse 33. He claimed that the problem was a lack of experience. He said, David, you're but a youth. And this Goliath, this this fighter, has been fighting wars since he was a youth. You don't have the experience necessary. You're not able to take on this Goliath. And then Saul shifted as he identified another problem as a lack of equipment in verse 38. You don't even have armor. You don't even have the ability to fight this warrior, Goliath. You lack the equipment. You lack the experience. And even Goliath got in on pointing out the problem in verse 42. He said, David, you're a weakling. You're puny. You're uh, just a young kid and you are far too handsome for a battle like this. David, you're out of your league, is what Goliath said. Where's the real problem? David saw the issues differently, though. For him, this was a theological problem with a theological solution. And he put his finger directly on it in verse 26. He said, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, you may remember that that Calling to mind circumcision is a reminder both to all Israel and to the people of the Philistines that there is a God who makes promises. For the men of Israel were circumcised. They bore a mark on their body that proclaimed, We belong to God. He has placed His mark upon us. He has placed His stamp upon us. He has purchased us by blood. God has bound Himself to us, His people. He's made promises to save us. And you over there on the other side of the valley... You don't have that mark. You are uncircumcised. You have not received promises of salvation from God. In fact, you are God's enemies. We are marked by God's promises, David said. And furthermore, our God is a living God. The implied question that David offers to Saul and all the Israelites is this Is God alive? And is he for us or not? Is He here? Is He for us? Is He pledged to us or not? For this enemy that we face isn't just an enemy of Saul. These are God's enemies, David says. And are we willing to believe that God is interested in fighting for and defending His covenanted people? His family that He has bought with blood? Is God interested in caring for us or not? That was what David asked. Saul was tone deaf. He was tone deaf to that theological argument because Saul started from a different place. He was using a different math. Saul looked at his armies. He looked at his equipment. He measured out his experience and it all added up to defeat. It all added up to destruction. But David started in a different place. David started by looking at the all-powerful God who had bound Himself to His people by blood. And that's where his math started. And when he started with a God who had made promises, a God who was powerful, it added up to infinite power on behalf of God to save His people. And David testified to that in verse 45 as he spoke to Goliath. He says, You came to Me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And in verse 47, he says all this that all this assembly, including God's people, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Who was the strong one in David's mind? It wasn't himself. It wasn't David's resources, it wasn't David's power, it wasn't David's wisdom, it wasn't David's experience that gave him confidence, but rather he placed his trust and his faith and his hope in the Lord God Almighty. For it was the Lord who was the one who delivered. It was the Lord who was the strong one who would fight for his people. Now where did David learn that? Where did this young shepherd boy learn that God was the kind of God who stepped in to protect the weak and the vulnerable? Well, he tells us. He told us he learned about it in the shepherd's field. Where David was spending his life day in and day out being a shepherd boy, caring for these weak and defenseless and powerless sheep. He gave his life every day to fight off the lions, to fight off the bears, those who would seek to destroy his flock. David risked his life. And it was in that battle place of the shepherd's field that David learned that there is another power at work in me and through me. There is another one who is able to defend the weak and the powerless and the vulnerable. David learned that lesson in the shepherd's field. And the Lord took him from that field and placed him in this valley. The valley of Elah. Where the future, the very life of God's people was now on the line. And David was called to put that lesson he learned in the shepherd's field to work. Defending God's people as a shepherd king who would step in and defend the powerless and the weak And the vulnerable with a power that is beyond himself. With the power of a God who is able to use instruments like David to save and bless his people. I want to propose to you and to me that the Lord does that all the time. The Lord takes you and me and teaches us lessons in one part of our life, in one area of life, in one circumstance in life. He teaches us lessons about His power and His grace and His authority. And when we learn it, He takes us out of that circumstance and lifts us into another place, in another circumstance, in a more challenging place. And He says, put to work what I have taught you about My power. For you learned in the field... But now you're in the real battle. And He's going to do that for you too. He's going to teach you in the field. He's going to teach you in a small place. And He might take you to a different place. That you may put into practice your belief that you've learned. Your trust that you've learned. That victory doesn't belong to us. The battle belongs to the Lord. For it is God who fights for His people. It is God who will save His people. It, will, it is God who will redeem His people. I hope you realize that this story of David and Goliath really is not about David's courage. The focal point of this text is on the God who saves. The point of the story of David and Goliath is in the God who acts, the God who saves, the God who is powerful. And the question for you and for me is do we fear Him or do we fear man? You see, we fear what we believe has power and force and authority. Saul believed that Goliath had all the power and the force and the authority. But David suggested to Goliath as he suggests to you and to me that they were fearing the wrong thing. Rather than fearing this man, the Lord was the one to fear. Stan Dan Allender, the theologian and counselor, writes, he says that it takes a big fear to make little fears go away put it a different way, the only way to drive out a fear is with a bigger fear. And the Bible tells this all over the places. The Bible calls us to fear the Lord. It is the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. It is in the fear of the Lord that is all at his power, complete trust and being willing to bow in dependence upon him, his life and his work and his word and in in and through us. And as we fear the Lord above all other fears, it puts the fear of man in its proper place. Because the Lord is the one who has authority. The Lord is the one who has all the power. The Lord is the one who has the ability to tell us exactly what we should do. We fear God, not man. No matter how big He is. No matter how threatening He is this man or this circumstance might be. We serve a God who is to be feared above all other things because He is powerful above all other things. But I don't know about you, but for me, that is way easier to say than it is to do. It's so much easier to say, yes, I fear the Lord, and yet I'm not really fearing the Lord who has power, but in reality... I fear a lack of resources on my part to bring about my desires. It's a book by the title of When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's how we live our lives so often. People are big and God is small or our problems are big and God is small. Our problems, we sometimes believe, are far too big for God to handle. We would never say it with our lips. But we believe it and we act upon it in our hearts. David challenges us here to fear the Lord, to live in respect and in awe of His power and not lower our eyes to these puny other fears in comparison to Him. For me, it is so easy to be afraid if I feel like I'm all alone. Where I feel like I'm in this mess and there's there's no way out. I can't see any way to get out of this mess. It's so easy to be caught in fear when a solution seems impossible to come about. Certainly was what David faced. But David ran. Did you notice that? David ran into this battle with Goliath. Because he knew that he wasn't the first one there. The Lord was already in that valley when David got there. Because you and I are never going into a fearful situation alone. It's never the case that in any time, in any circumstance, that we face a crippling power on our own. That we are all alone going into this mess or this fearful circumstance. It's never the case. Because our God is already there. Fighting for and protecting His people. It could be that you fear something that seems to be far too big for you. Friend, let me propose to you that you're never going to encounter a battlefield outside of the Lord's control and authority. You're never going to face some entrenched sin in your life on your own and left to your own willpower because the Lord is already there. And the Lord is more committed to your holiness than you are. The Lord's already on the scene and you never have to face it alone. The Spirit of God resides within you. And you're never left to your own resources. Perhaps you fear, do I have enough to make it? Do I have enough gas in the tank? Do I have enough energy? Do I have enough emotional bandwidth? Do I have enough strength? Friends, you are never left to the limits of your own wisdom and power and authority. Why? Because the battle for your life And your soul and your holiness and your eternal security belongs to the Lord. And He is the one that we are called to respect. He is the one before whom we bow. He is the one who has the determinative identity marker in our lives. We belong to God. And let our fear of Him, our respect for His great divine power in our lives, drive out fears of other circumstances. For our God is powerful. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And by His Spirit, He is God within us. We don't need to walk in fear today. Because we walk with a much more fearsome and powerful God who loves us and uses His power to save us. You know what the most oft-repeated command in the Scriptures is, don't you? It's do not fear. Did you know that? The command that's repeated the most in the Bible is do not fear. And so often the reason is attached. And the reason is for I am with you. We never go into a battle alone. The Lord is already there. Ultimately, the Lord's battle to save His people wasn't really fought in this valley of Elah. For this was just a little skirmish. It was simply a small skirmish in the grander battle for eternity. This really wasn't fought by this young boy, David the Eighth, and Runt, the unexpected son who could be the true champion. This David was merely a signpost to point us to the true Son of David, the true Lord Jesus, who didn't sling a rock at an enemy to cast Him down, but instead He spread His arms open wide that He might be nailed to a cross for you and for me, that He might take upon Himself our condemnation and our weakness and our humiliation. That by His crucifixion, our enemy would be completely destroyed. And by His resurrection from the dead, We might live with Him. You see, the Lord, as David says, doesn't save with sword or spear. He says in verse 47, the Lord saves with blood. The Lord saves with His own blood shed for us in victory over our sin and our evil and injustice and yes, even over our fears. The real battle, the real war has already been won on the cross. And the enemy who could truly destroy your life has already been struck down by what the Lord Jesus did for us upon the cross. He fought to win the war against sin and death and the devil. And He stands victorious for us now. If we simply repent, turn away from our sin, and place our trust and our faith, and yes, our fears... Into the one who gave his life for us. And he's given us his spirit that he might enable us to walk in his ways and follow after him as we battle for him and battle against our fears in this life. Wherever the Lord takes you, he says, Do not fear, for I'm with you. Wherever the Lord takes you, whatever battlefield he calls you to step upon, the Lord is already there fighting for you, His child. And don't forget kingdom math. Don't forget that the Lord who is there is the one who is infinite in His power and His authority and His love. I know it's Independence Day weekend, but would we proclaim to the world that we are dependent upon the Lord who has the power? and the authority, and the might. For our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine by His power at work within us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would enable us as Your people no longer to wallow in our fears, but instead turn our hearts to fear You to respect You, to know and experience Your saving power, Your mighty work within our souls as individuals, Your mighty work within Your body, the church all around the world. Lord, so often we are captured by our fears because we believe we're left to our own resources. But we ask that You would lift our eyes up, that we might see You, the Lord Jesus That we might experience You, Holy Spirit, in our lives as individuals and as a church. We ask that we would be that kind of people here at Rivermont. And we ask that You would make us into that kind of people around the world. There are brothers and sisters that we have, Father, who have much, much more reason to fear than we do. They're being beaten. They're being brutalized. They're having their lives taken. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be the God who fights for your people. Lift up and protect our brothers and sisters who are vulnerable and weak all around the world. And we pray that you would draw near to your vulnerable and weak flock here at 2424 Rivermont Avenue. Would you be the God who fights for us? And may we place our faith and our hope and our fear in you. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.